0: Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. Normally I'd like to do a little bit of a welcome, like, hey! But I'm just impacted by that moment, and I don't want us to be in a hurry to pass things by in God. You know, there's something that I might reference later on this evening, but when Jesus is asking his disciples, who do people say that I am in Matthew chapter 16, and there's this whole unfurling revelation, and he says that great statement that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, right? You know, I I think Jesus in all of the New Testament mentions the word church twice. Wow, So, so what he says about it has got to be important for us. The immediate thing he says after that is that, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. He gives us the ability to access and unlock things in the realm of the spirit that we need in every circumstance, in every situation, in every environment in life. And it's not exactly like Tico said, it's not that we need to be weird. I mean, I've turned up, I've been the guy at work opening my Bible when I'm supposed to be working. So, but, but God says this. But he's given us influence beyond our natural abilities. Is he too in here? He'll be coming soon. We'll, we'll pray for him later. Anyway, uh, thank you. <laughs> thank you for having me uh, and Carol. Uh, it's such a privilege for us to be here. We, we, we really do cherish the, the relationship that we have with Tico and Shelley and, and Penny and, and, and Caleb getting to know these guys over the last maybe 18 months or so. Really, And I mean, we've known of them. We've seen them from afar. But, but going on a journey of faith together and, and being, I don't know, trying to champion the cause of Christ in our city together. It's been such an encouragement to hear, and we hear about what's happening here quite often. You, I, I look around and, I, and I'm starting to put faces to names and, you know, just, just some of the great stories that we've heard. I know that there are about people in the room here tonight, so we actually celebrate you. It's an honor to be in your presence in your house tonight, and, and I, I my prayer really is this, that, that, that the word that I bring would impact you, not because of some kind of eloquent w- way that it's delivered, can't even say the word, but because of the impact of the Holy Spirit in our world. So yeah. You know, I, I want to speak about something that's really been, do we have a clock? Someone, someone will yell at me when it's, yeah, uh, a, a journey for me that, yeah, sure, that I've gone on personally, but, but I... I think it's important because it's something that everybody has to deal with in life, and it's this whole deal of identity. Yeah. You know, I think young people particularly uh, really sort of find the, the identity for themselves. I, I, I think we've become really good at giving a generic explanation of, of, of who we are, like I'm, uh, I'm a Kiwi, or I'm a male, or whatever that is, I'm, I'm young, I'm old, I'm male, I'm female, but all of that really boils down to this one piercing question, who am I? It's something that I've had the privilege as a minister to sit down with people time and time again and help walk them through that journey. They go, well, I don't, I don't even know who I am. You know, this, my life has been messed up to this point, but now I've met Christ. Who am I? I think every generation has its own struggle for identity. But I also have come to know this that we can never hope to understand who we are outside of a relationship with the one who created us in the first place. When I gr- growing up for us uh, I mean I got an amazing mom and dad they just spent 3 nights with us this week. Uh, really, really cool. They took us out. They, they treated us. They looked after us. It was just like I was young again, but now I'm much older. And they're looking after their grandkids at the same time. I'm just tagging along for the ride now. But, it, but I, I, love, I, I love spending time with them. But when we were growing up, we had no real spiritual input in our family um, I don't really understand anything in regards to faith or different religions around the world. In fact, I remember the one reference to uh, a Christian that I heard my mum make was when we were, I I still, I don't know, I might have been seven or eight years old, and we'd driven home from getting the groceries, and we're driving through our neighborhood, and there's one of the local kids walking down the road. He's a couple of years older than me, and uh, she said, oh, look, there's so-and-so, he's become one of those born-again Christians. And she was just talking to herself. I was the only other person in the car. So I'm like, Mom, from the back, Mom, Mom what's a born-again Christian. I remember her distinctly turning around to me in the back seat and saying, No, don't worry about it, son. It just means that he's crazy. I'm like, oh, <laughs> okay. All right. And, but but that, got, that was locked and loaded for me. Like It was, it was just one of those things that stuck. Then when I'm, I'm 19 years old, I'm, I'm working at the meatworks. I'm, you know, I'm doing all the same things that my friends were doing. We're all, all into the same stuff together. And, and it was, it seemed like a good time, right? Like the drinking and the, and, the, and the taking of other paraphernalia. Like, oh man, this is just who we are. This is what we do, freedom. And my friend invites me to go on holiday with him to Australia for like four weeks. I'm like, oh wow. Uh, well, yeah, I've never been there, but... He said, but we've got free accommodation. Oh, great, let's go. The thing he didn't tell me about the free accommodation is that it was at his sister and her husband's place. And when we turned up, I found out that they were these raving, born-again Christians, like every single night. I mean, that, to me, I ought to, be, I ought to be honest, they seemed weird, right? Like they were reading to us from the Bible. Um, they were playing preaching videos for me throughout the middle of the day. Going, you got to watch this. I'm like, no, I'd, I actually just want to be sleeping still. But they were amazingly gracious. And after spending three and a half weeks in their home, it started to become so evident to me that not only were they talking about living life differently, what they were saying was measuring up with what they were doing. And, and, and they'd been inviting us to church every Sunday, right? Like, would you, would, you just, would you like to come? Would you like to see what it's like? Would you like to come and experience it? Like, no. Hell no, we won't go. And then one Thursday night, they, they, they said, oh, look, we're, our church is putting on this production. We've, we've been putting a lot of time into it. We've been practicing heaps. It'd be really awesome if you came along. And oh, i would be rude not to, right? So we, we turn up to this production that they've done called... Um, Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames. I don't know how many people have seen that, but apparently it used to do the rounds. It's quite a famous um, Christian production. And as I sat there in a room of maybe 100 or so people and watched the depiction of everything that happened, and and it was this whole, I don't know, scenario where different people of different walks of life would die, however they would die, whether they were a good person or bad, and what would happen to them as they met God, like heaven or hell. I'm like, oh. I've never thought about this before, right? Like, like I thought that if heaven was real, as long as I didn't murder somebody, I'd probably go there. And that was enough theology to get me by. But something about what was presented in that production started to make so much sense to me that when the guy got up at the end of it and said, hey, is there anybody here who would like to invite Jesus into their world with every head bowed and every eye closed, lift up your hand? I'm like, oh, because he said... This is just between you and God. I'm like, yeah, well, sure. Because <laughs> no one's looking, right? And then when he, maybe if they don't finish. If I put your hands down, I see that, I see that. I'm like, oh, man, there must be heaps of people. That's really awesome. He said, all you people come forward. I said, No. <laughs> I can't do it, right? Like I looked at my friend who was sitting beside me and he was sitting on his hands. There was sweat pouring off his forehead and I'm going, hey, there's, there's something not right here. But he didn't move. So I never went, I was too embarrassed to go forward. The following Sunday, they invited me to church again and I, I, by this stage, my curiosity was, was just heightened. I was like, man, I've, I've, I've got to know more. I've got to find out about this. So my friend still didn't come But I went to the church, and it was a a church of, I think in total, there would have been 20 people there. And they played some songs, someone preached a message. They were, uh, I think they were the epitome of happy clappers. Uh, (laughs) Like, they were, yeah, man, they were all smiling. They were so full of energy, and they were all clapping their hands vigorously in time with the music. Like, I was stunned, right? I'm sitting there going, man, this is. This is like, they're so enthusiastic. And then at the end of the message, I, I don't even remember what it was, but they did the same deal, the altar call, right? Like if anyone would like to know Jesus, close your eyes. I'm like, well, I'm not even going to bother closing my eyes. I know that I'm the only one in the room. So i like, yeah, it's me, surprise. And they invite me forward and, start, and I start to pray this prayer with them, this inviting Jesus into my world. And then, so, and, and that was kind of hard enough, right? Like, I felt, man, I'm being exposed in front of all of these people. And then the minister invited the whole church to come and gather around me and start praying for me, which is, I mean, I've never experienced anything like this in my life. They're praying for me and surrounding me and touching me, and I'm going, oh, no, like, what do I do? Like, I feel claustrophobic. But as soon as I flinched, They took that as a sign of like, he's going down. Let's pray louder. Some people started to speak in this funny sounding kind of noise. I had no idea what it was. I I, I end up on my hands and knees. Not because the presence of God has overwhelmed me as I now understand it it does, but because I was so freaked out by what was happening, I was literally trying to get to the exit. They they didn't know. They're like just so happy. So I go home, and in the car on the way home, saying, what was that noise? What was that sound those people were making? What was that gibberish? And so they started trying to explain it to me, and I, I became so mocking. I was, I was demanding that they do it. What do you mean people speak in tongues of angels? Do it. Do it right now. You can't do it, can you? And I, I didn't feel bad about it. I just was curious. I remember Andy, the husband, turned around to me and said, oh, well, uh, the Bible says that we don't cast pearls before swine. <laughs> I wasn't offended because I didn't understand what he said. I was like, oh, it took me quite a few years to work that one out. Anyway, that night as I lay in the bed in the room, I remember saying to God, because I started to think about this whole deal that had happened, and I... And I I remember saying just this one simple prayer to God. God, I've, I've embarrassed myself today in front of all of these people. And I made a confession that you were real and that I wanted you to be a part of my life. But nothing's changed. If you don't do something to help me in my faith, we will never, we will never come back to this point And I lay down and I went to sleep. And I thought, well, of course nothing's going to happen. I've I've been duped, right? (laughs) Been bamboozled by these overly energetic people. (laughs) About three o'clock in the morning when I woke up, I had sat bolt upright in bed and I was saying this one word over and over and over again with my hands pointed towards the ceiling. I was saying, Ely, Ely, Ely. Ely! And it was louder and louder. Ely! Ely! I was like, whoa! I must have had <laughs> some kind of weird dream. So I lay back down. I'm thinking, yeah, no. And I just, just forget about it, right? Like it felt like I was saying something or, 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 or calling to somebody, perhaps. But I had no un- understanding of what it was that I was saying. Suddenly, there was this feeling, uh, like a glowing sensation in the pit of my stomach. And I started trying to convince myself that it wasn't happening, like, no, it's not real. I'm not feeling that. I haven't had anything hallucinogenic the whole time that I've been here. (laughs) This can't be happening right now. But the more I tried to convince myself that it wasn't happening, the more intense the feeling became until it felt like something was lodged in my throat, and wanted to come pouring out through my mouth. By which point, I was now quite frightened, and I wanted to call out to my friend who was in the next room to come and help me. And as I opened my mouth to call out his name, to simply say, Miles, would you come and help me? I'm having a panic attack or something. I just started to speak in that same gibberish language. But I couldn't stop it. Every time I tried to say something in English, which I was thinking, it was coming out in this weird-sounding language to the point where I had to clamp my hands, my sweaty hands, over my face. And I'm licking the salty sweat up my palms trying to contain this raging, weird thing that's found its home in my mouth. And suddenly, it's like I had this clarity of thought and I went, man, there's, there's something different here right now. There's a presence, there's a, there's a feeling in the room that I've never felt before. I'm, I'm, yes, I'm terrified. But at the same time, I feel completely whole. And I said in my mind, because I'm so afraid to open my mouth, God, I know that it's you but can you please make it stop? <laughs> and so it all subsides, and I lie down in the bed and manage to go back to sleep. And in the morning, you, after that kind of experience, you think, nah, right? Like the classic Kiwi slang, yeah, nah. Yeah, nah, yeah. Yeah, nah. And I think, well, here's the test, right? I'll, I'll ask somebody if they know what Ely means. And I got up in the morning and Louisa, the, the, the lady whose house it was, was sitting at the breakfast bar. It was very early in the morning. And I say to her, Hey, Louisa, do you happen to know what the word Eli might mean? And she says, Well, yeah, I, actually, I do. In fact, I'm reading it right now. And here it is. Come and have a look at this in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 48, I think it is. It says, Eli, Eli, Lama sabachthani, which is Jesus on the cross saying, in Aramaic, my father, my father, oh my God, my God. I'm like, oh wow, okay. <laughs> she said, why? Why, did, why do you ask? She said, oh, I just kind of woke up, couldn't stop saying it, never read the Bible, never to my knowledge, spoken Hebrew before. <laughs> she, said, she said to me, was there anything else that happened? I said, no. (laughs) I still thought that she might think that I was crazy. Anyway, a few days later I came home to New Zealand and and for for me that was the beginning of a journey in God, really of discovery. Not only of who He was, but of who I was in Him. I mean, unfortunately for the next five years, I still ran in the other direction and tried to convince myself that it never happened. but every now and then, I couldn't help but tell the story. And funnily enough, um, Pastor Israel, who's um, on staff with me now at, at, at City Church, was one of the first people who had contacted me when I got back to New Zealand. We had been working together in the meatworks, And he said, hey, uh, bro, can you, can you score an ounce for me? Because it's what you do. I'm like, well, in my mind, I'm going, is that okay? If I'm a Christian, I suppose if I don't smoke it myself, I... Let's do the transaction. I'll make some money. That's good, right? <laughs> I turned up to his house, and they cooked me dinner. And I had this stuff there. And I, I've told this story with him around a number of times. so He doesn't mind. I remember after the dinner, I said, hey, look, here's the thing. Do you, do you want that? And, and, and over dinner, I'd been telling him this exact same story. And he goes, oh, well, uh, kind of, no, nah, I don't want that anymore. Um, and thanks for bringing it around, though. See you later. I'm like, oh man, I was all bummed out and left. And I didn't find out till five years later that the reason he didn't, well, I thought it's too dear, it's not good enough, or whatever it is. He, he told me five years later, it's because you told me the story. It's because you told me the story. And I heard something of truth in that that I'd never heard before. And it changed my mind as to the direction that I wanted my life to go in. I'm like, man. You know, if we could turn to Exodus in chapter three tonight. There's a story that really goes through chapter two as well, I guess, of Moses and his burning bush experience. And I love all of the stuff preceding this where Moses growing up in Pharaoh's courts as, as, as a son of Pharaoh, treated as a prince of Egypt at some point, gets this understanding of who he is. And it says that he goes out because he wants to see his own people. And as he sees them and their mistreatment as slaves, as he sees the Egyptian soldier beating the Hebrew slave, he takes exception to it because something of the call, something of the, 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 I don't know, the, the stirring of God has started to happen within him. He's, he's, he's starting to recognize something about who it is that he's created to be. And he says, that's not okay. I don't, I don't want that for my own people. I don't want them to live in saved slavery. It's not okay that people are beating them like that. So he steps up to do something about it and kills the Egyptian soldier, which, I mean, obviously is not the recommended thing to do. The next day when he's out wandering around, because he's buried the Egyptian in the sand, and he sees two Hebrews fighting, and he says to the one who is the antagonist, hey, why are you beating your brother? If you read the account, it says the man's response to Moses is who made you, right? Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you going to kill me also like you killed the Egyptian? And Moses realized that he was found out and when Pharaoh was going to kill him, he ran and hid for 40 years in the desert where he became a herder of goats. The story picks up in chapter 3 where it says that now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, and he was leading the goats from one side of the desert to the other, which sounds like a very long way under the hot sun. And if it was in any other book, I would think maybe he had the wrong cactus juice along the way because it says that he sees this bush that is burning but yet is not being consumed. And as he turns aside to look and he hears the voice of God, saying, Moses, this is holy ground. Take off your sandals. And the father starts to reveal to him what it is that he's calling him to do. I want you to go and set my people free. Moses' first question to God, right, his first response after finding out everything that God's calling him into is this echo of doubt from 40 years prior. Remember the, the, the Hebrew man said to him, who made you, who made you ruler and judge over us? 40 years later, Moses is living in an identity crisis. God the Father turns up and starts speaking into his world. And Moses' first response is, but who am I? Who am I? I can't do the things that you're calling me to do. I would think, I think logically through the story, I think, well, great opportunity for God to tell Moses how awesome he is, right? And Moses, remember, you're a prince of Egypt. You've, you've been brought up in the wisdom of the Egyptians. You're, you're powerful in speech and deed. You're, you're an amazing herder of goats. You've, you've got an amazing beard, like, like all of your great attributes, Right? But none of that happens. The response to the question, who am I, is the Father saying, I will be with you. You know, I think that there is so much in that statement. David, in the 23rd Psalm, says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are With me, learning to live with a recognition of his presence helps to free us from our perception being warped by fear or insecurities or self doubt or any circumstance or situation that we would find ourselves in in life. Even though I'm walking through the darkest valley, I can't see my way out of it, I don't know how I got into it, the sides are too steep, the way is too long, I'm lost in the midst of my self doubt. Yeah, I recognize that you're still with me and even if it's a financial crisis God we can work our way out of this together. I know that you never leave me nor do you ever forsake me. My identity is found in you. Who I am is, 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 is confident, is secure, is founded upon the rock of Jesus Christ and nothing that the world can ever press towards me can shake me off the firm foundation of Christ upon which I stand. God, you're my identity. God, the fact that you are with me in every situation in life is enough for me. You know, the Word of God is full of revelation of not only who He is, but of who we are in Him. I love uh, Romans in 8 and verse 18. Out. It gives expression to this kind of idea that all of Creation is waiting in eager expectation for the sons or the daughters of God to be revealed. It's groaning in eager anticipation to enter into the same glorious freedom that we have. It's waiting for us to recognize and realize who we are and to walk in the full authority that we have in him to bring the same freedom that he's given to us and pour it out into the world around us. But we don't do that unless we understand who we are and what we have access to. You know, Ephesians 1 and verse 3, praise be to God, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has given us every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Like He's already given us every spiritual blessing. Sometimes I get frustrated and sometimes I laugh, I feel like laughing when I when I sit with people. Like, oh, I just, I'm praying. I'm, I'm, I'm praying so hard for God to do this thing in my life. Like, well, don't waste your breath, right? Don't be like the pagans with their elongated prayers. Get a clue as to who you are and realize that he's already given you that. You've, you've already got access to that stuff. You don't need to be pleading with him for a breakthrough in certain areas because you are a breakthrough for that area. 2 Peter says His divine power is given to us all things pertaining to life and godliness. One of my favorite ones, 2 Corinthians 1.20. For no matter how many promises God has made, no matter how many, they are yes in Him. And we get to speak the amen to the glory of God. I love that because it's like He's simply waiting for us to say, so be it, to what he's already said yes to. He's waiting for us to, to align ourselves with promises that he's already made. You know, understanding who we are gives us an understanding of what we have access to. That's why I love reading through all of Paul's letters in the New Testament because there's this underlying or overarching theme, if you like, that, 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 that he writes but is not written. He's, 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 he's saying to us between the lines, I want you to base the practice of your Christianity on the reality of your position in Christ. You know, I, I, I want to finish with this in, in, in Matthew 16. The same thing we mentioned at the beginning where Christ says to his Disciples, you know, well, tell me, right? T- tell me, who do the people, who do the crowds, who do, who do they say that I am? They say, oh, well, some say you're Elijah or John the Baptist or Jeremiah or, 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 or one of the prophets. It's like, yeah, okay. Right, but, but who do you say that I am? Peter speaks up and we, most of us know the story well. And he says, well, you're the Christ, you're the, You're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. He says, well, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven has. And you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatsoever things you bind on earth will loosen heaven. Oh, great. great. But it matters, right, who we say he is. You know, I, see, I hear, again, so many different theories and ideas around who God might be from those who do not have relationship with him. The spirit is some ethereal kind of presence that maybe somehow, like Yoda would say, holds the universe together, but it's a tension between good and evil, and there's a balance and, to the force, I'm like, yeah, oh my God, <laughs> it's not true, it doesn't matter who they say he is, right, it's who you say that he is, it's who I say he is, it's what's, what is the confession of my mouth, what's the confession of your mouth, he is Jesus Christ, he's the Lord, he's the Messiah, he's the king of my life. And based on that revelation, right, he gives us the keys to the kingdom of heaven, which means we have the right of access. If the, if the door's locked and I don't have the keys, then I need to beat on it to break it down. If I want to get through it, I've got to find some other tool, some other implement to, to wedge into that door and, and break it open. But I don't have the right. That's, that's like breaking and entering, right? But if I've got the keys, I can put it in I can turn it, the lock clicks, and the door swings open on its hinges, and I've got access. But he says that we've got access to the kingdom of heaven all of its supply, all of its resources, everything that we need pertaining to life and godliness, every spiritual blessing in Christ. What do I need in my situation? I don't enjoy the place where I'm working. For instance, I do, I love it, it's awesome. But if I didn't, I don't agree with the way the manager does things. I don't like the way my workmates act. I don't like the environment they've created. I need to change jobs. You know, the answer for me to that most of the time is, no, don't, please don't do that. You might be the only influence of the kingdom in that place. Think about it a little bit, right? Like, do you understand the authority that you've had, that you have? What would happen if you turned up 20 or 30 minutes early in the morning and you started knocking on heaven's door? Say, God, I, I just want access today for the one thing that's going to bring change in my workplace. I want to have access today for the word of wisdom that I can speak to that person who's, who's living in torment." I'm gonna pray for a couple of people in a moment as we close, but you know, I remember as as Pastor Israel and I worked in the meatworks together, and we would turn up early in the morning and sit in the box room in the vents of, above the workplace, as people would do the early morning sit-up. And we would pray. And we would sing songs over the workplace. And every now and then someone would stick their head up through the floor and what are you doing, you idiots? we would say, we're praying for you, bro. We love you. Oh, uh, it's uncomfortable, but thanks. But we would just be declaring the goodness of God over the workplace. And as we did that, all sorts of things began to happen. I was walking through the meet room one day. We're all changing over. Every hour we would change occupation and I was walking to the New State Workstation and my foreman was walking the other way and everybody, I don't know what it was, everybody was glum, right? Like there's no windows to see out of. It's all white and red. It's depressing. Everyone's got knives and looking like they want to stab you. And I just can't stop smiling. I've been meditating on this one word, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And I was laughing about it in my mind but obviously it was on my face because I said I don't even know what it means I don't understand what that means God but it feels so good to keep saying it as my foreman walked the other way he stopped and he turned around and he said to the back of my head why are you so bleeping happy and without thinking I spun on the spot and I said because Jesus loves me He literally fell backwards onto the vacuum packing machine. And then he scurried away. But there was a joy released in that place. There were salvations that started to take place. People started to inquire of us as to what had changed in our world. Why don't you swear anymore? Why don't you do the same things that we are? Why don't you drink anymore? Why don't you smoke with us anymore? Why don't you stay out late with us anymore? One by one, we would have the opportunity to invite every single person in that place to come to church, to enter into relationship with Jesus through recognizing who we are in Him and the authority that we carry to bring change into the world around us. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at com forward slash Christchurch.